time for the Nerdbook Review, where we strive to broaden your fantasy horizons. Today, Chris and I will be bringing you From Unseen Fire by Cass Morris. It is her debut novel. It was released in April of 2018, this year, by DAW Books, and it is the first book in the Avon Cycle. Before we get to the review, as per usual, I have a little bit of housekeeping. You can reach us on Twitter at Nerdbook Review, on Facebook with the Facebook page Nerdbook Review, and by email, nerdbookreview at gmail.com. Once again, if you would be so kind as to leave a rating or review on iTunes or the platform of your choice, we would be greatly appreciative. Uh, it has been a little while since anyone's left a review for us, and those reviews are super important. Alrighty, we'll get right to the review then. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Cam. And I'm Chris. And this is the Nerdbook Review. Today, we are going to be reviewing From Unseen Fire by Cass Morris. It is her debut novel. It is 404 pages long, and it is the first book in the Avon cycle. I believe that is correct. Avon, Avon. Uh, it is being published by Daw Books, D-A-W. I'm not, you know, actually, I don't even know how I'm supposed to say that, to be honest with you. I don't know either. They're uh, distributed through Penguin, but they are an independent uh, publisher, although their offices are also in the Penguin building. It was kind of a weird deal when I was reading, but apparently hmm. they are the oldest uh, sci-fi and fantasy-only publishing company. Anywho, uh, Morris, she is fairly young. Uh, she's in her early 30s. She's an American. And uh, from her website, it looks like she wrote her master's thesis on Shakespeare, which... Neat. Yes. And also, I think it comes into play uh, in the novel, where I do think that one of the highlights is the uh, the dialogue. Like, it's just flawless in terms of it doesn't seem awkward or anything like that. And I think that's something that, for me, I notice sometimes with first-time writers especially, that dialogue can be an issue. Chris, that silky smooth voice of yours, would you read the very long Goodreads blurb? The dictator is dead. Long live the republic. But whose republic will it be? Senators, generals, and elemental mages vie for the power to shape the future of the city of Avon. Latona of the Vitellier, a mage of spirit and fire, has suppressed her phenomenal talents for fear they would draw unwanted attention from unscrupulous men. Now that the dictator who threatened her family is gone, she may have an opportunity to seize a greater destiny as a protector of the people, if only she can find the courage to try. Her siblings, a widow who conceals a canny political mind in the guise of a frivolous socialite, a young prophetess learning to navigate a treacherous world, and a military tribune leading a dangerous expedition in the province of Iberia, will be her allies as she builds a place for herself in this new world, against the objections of, her, of their father, her husband, and the strictures of a vent in society. Is that all one sentence? Latona's path intersects with that of Sempronius Tarin, an ambitious senator harboring a dangerous secret. Sacred law dictates that no mage may hold high office, but Sempronius, a shadow mage who has kept his abilities a lifelong secret, intends to do just that. As rebellion brews in the provinces, Sempronius must outwit the ruthless leader of the opposing Senate faction to claim the political and military power he needs to secure a glorious future for Avon and his own place in history. 
As politics draw them together and romance blossoms between them, Latona and Sempronius will use wit, charm, and magic to shape Avon's fate. But when their foes resort to brutal violence and foul sorcery, will their efforts be enough to save the Republic they love? That is a very long and actually very in-depth synopsis yeah. as well. Um, and <laughs> this book, I know that we try to be spoiler-free, but there, I mean, the synopsis gave a lot of it out. And I actually spoke with uh, Miss Morris, and uh, she had a pretty uh, loose, you know, view on what would be called considered spoilery as well. Mm-hmm. I I get the feeling from both myself and maybe just I only talked with her just a, a sh- very short period on Facebook, but that a lot of this this novel is more of a setup novel for a longer series. I mean, it certainly isn't. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and so a lot of what happens is world building. So I I just you know we can talk about a lot that uh, happens maybe even longer into the book than normal, but my quick take is. This novel is basically an alternative history novel about Rome and what would historically be the time right after Marius and Sulla uh, that presaged the fall of the Republic, with some magic thrown in. And as always, I am a fan of alternative history novels, so that is not a dig. I know there are people out there who would probably take it that way. So, Chris, what did you think? Um, I thought it was uh, if... If Aaron Sorkin had written a prequel to <laughs> Julius Caesar and put a little magic in it, <laughs> lots of dialogue, huh? lots of dialogue, lots of uh, lots of five dollar words, uh, yeah, yeah. So this is where we get into the talking about that. Uh, uh, Miss Morris was a English teacher or an English teacher, an English major, mm-hmm. and has a uh, master's degree in Shakespeare. So we get, I think that you that sense of drama. Yeah, definitely. And uh, interpersonal relationships that uh, Sorkin is so famous for. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I see what you're talking about right mm-hmm. there. And I also, uh, that is a compliment coming. Yeah, okay. uh, I, I intend that to be a compliment. <laughs> I love Aaron Sorkin's work. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, so uh, as we both say things that uh, certain segments of people will uh, consider <laughs> negatives just by saying that, uh, we don't consider those personally to be negatives. But yeah, so... um. Let's talk about, first of all, uh, Avon. Um, it is Rome. There's right. no ifs, and or buts about it. It bothered me to start off with, though, that everything else is the same except yeah. for that. And I don't know. Maybe it gave her, it, like, I could see it giving you, like, in your own mind as you're writing it, like, a little bit of license to yeah, change things. Yeah, it gives things. you some artistic license to kind of make it, make it a little bit different. Yeah. Because uh, if, you know, if, if she had just left it as Rome then there are going to be people that are, you know, really into Roman history that are kind of, oh, well, that's not how that happened. It's like, yeah, yeah but yeah. Th- there wasn't magic either. Yeah. And so I think that, like I said, it was something that bothered me in the first, like, 10 to 20% because things were fairly slow and and there's so much world building and... um we're learning about the politics and the history and things like that, that I think that once I got into the actual storyline, you know, which was much later than usual in this novel, then it didn't bother me. Yeah. But I, but it did at first, having just that be the only change. 
Chris, kind of, I guess, talk about how this starts off and how, like, you know, like the first majority of the book takes place. I didn't see a ton of action for one thing. No, there was a there's a little bit pretty early on, mm-hmm. uh, but then from there, it it really does get into kind of the character relationship building and uh, and world building. Um, the action is kind of there. There's a little bit early on, and then it's uh, there is quite a bit much later. Yeah, yeah, it gets, um, but I felt like, to me, it felt like we just never got into the meat of the story, or, I mean, okay, sorry, that's not the right way to put it. The The setup portion of this novel is a lot longer than yeah. in most novels. Yep. And I understand why it was done, and like I said, I feel like she d- deals with um, dialogue very well, but it is, it's like... The book can be too clever for its own good, I think, sometimes. Like, dealing with yeah. all of that, that the politics, and we deal with so much uh, intrigue and things like that without, like, necessarily a whole lot happening for such a large percentage, you know? <laughs> yeah. That it took me, honestly, two weeks to read the first 65% of this book. Really? And then it took me two days to read the last 35% of the book. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, it was like 65% uh, world building slash intrigue. Yeah. And setting up the massive cast of characters. Yes. How did you, in your mind, how did you deal with the massive cast? Um, what I ended up doing is, and I do this in a lot of, uh, a lot of books that do end up with large uh, casts of characters, is I kind of focus on the ones that are the most important, mm-hmm. uh, as, as far as I can tell, and make more effort to remember that than uh everyone else uh sometimes it works sometimes it uh sometimes what i end up with is later on there are characters that i have not made an effort to remember that Mm -hmm. come back and i'm kind of you know kind of stuck with uh who was this i i need to figure out how to how to find in a kindle (laughs) and yeah and go back and re-figure out who these people were yeah well, and I, and I I haven't mentioned it too many times in, in on this podcast, but when I was from about 16 to 19, I suffered three pretty serious concussions, mm. including one um, that I spent about two years where I had to have a day planner to like remember oh, you know school assignments and stuff. In my freshman year when I was playing baseball in college, I mm-hmm. took a line drive to the back of the head. And, uh, so like, you're supposed to be facing the batter. <laughs> well, I was warming up in the bullpen and the bull and I was facing the opposite way and took, and no one, uh, you know, my protector didn't protect me yeah. and yet. So warming up, throwing a pitch and next thing I know the ground is rising up to meet me anyways, the, uh, but yeah, so, um, and I really feel like only, you know, I mean, in the last 10 years or so I've gotten a ton better, but I still struggle with you know, like the, especially a big cast of characters sometimes. Mm, yeah. And so, yeah, I just didn't even make an effort to learn some of these names. And mm-hmm. I had, in fact, the person who's my favorite character, her brother Gaius, mm-hmm. I thought he was a different person at first. And oh. when a character dies, I thought that was him. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I thought this guy was going to be a main <laughs> character and he that? dies in a completely random, like useless way. Like, how does this further the story? I was like, this is like George R.R. R. Martin when he just got like, was being just capricious. Bored. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, wait, man, that can't, that cannot be the right person. So yeah. then I had to stop reading and go back and find the mm-hmm. right character. 
So yeah, so and and like I said, I'm willing to to say that part of that is just my own like inability to you know remember these things. But mm-hmm. I'm glad you know to hear you say the same thing a little bit. Yeah, and and one thing that I think uh, also didn't help with it is that uh, these Roman names tend to kind of be fairly similar. I think yeah. a lot of them seemed like they started with the same letter. And when when I'm reading, I'm just kind of glossing over i like i recognize the series of characters without really thinking of a pronunciation and so when they're similar enough i can kind of get those mixed up and then when everything ends with you know neus or uh you know kind of that roman thing but yeah the i think it's funny especially with latin the and well greek is the same way but Mm -hmm. having gender like i think that's something the english sometimes these names will sound really similar to us yeah, because of um, us not having the gender in the you know the the same way in as like as Latin does, and so yeah, the names can just they can be real similar, and um, I did I had I didn't have a ton of problem like that way. I just like I, there were so many characters that what I would do was just be like I don't think this person is going to be important enough to remember. Yeah, and then I was like, well, I'm not gonna try in my mind. I'm not gonna make a compartment mm-hmm. to remember this character. And like I said, it bit me hard once, yeah, where yeah. I had to be like, "What? I'm like, wait, that's not that's that... not possible." <laughs> I had a little bit of uh, uh, just, I don't know, my stupid brain going off on tangents was uh, a lot of the time. Uh, every time there was, you know, a, a name that kind of sounded like it. Did you ever see the episode of Futurama where? Uh, it's kind of like a Da Vinci Code type thing, and every oh, time yeah. Fry sees the the robot, uh, he, hey Animatronio! So every time <laughs> yeah. there was a name that was even remotely like Animatronio, I had that pop into my head. Hi Animatronio! <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, is that the one where he goes to the planet? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio or Leonardo Da Vinci. Yeah, is and the, he's the stupidest, the stupidest person, person yeah. on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so yeah, no, I can totally see that. But yeah. Like it, and then, um, so yeah, so massive cast of characters, and it can be hard. And the other thing is, is that, you know, a couple of the points of view that you see early on are really important, but maybe not, like, they're not going to be, like, important on, like, getting actual page time as as time goes on. Yeah. They're going to have very small sections later that you think are going to be more important, you know, when you first do it, mm-hmm. or first read. And so, yeah, I just kind of... Like, I had a little bit of trouble with that. And, you know, by the time I got to the meat of the story later on, um, that's not a problem. But it certainly... I think it probably would have been less of a problem, too, if I had been more into the story from the very beginning. Right. If I hadn't had so much to... Like, this one, it really makes you think. Like, you... It's hard when you don't know the people very well to to even to like really get through the intrigue too, and like even to realize remember who's on whose side, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. And um, I guess this. Did you have anything more to talk about, like with that specifically? Uh, as far as characters go, mm-hmm. um, there uh, there was also one more character late in it that uh, there was kind of a party going on. I thought this was just hilarious I, I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional but you got a guy that's uh i mean he's basically like he's rhyming oh yeah you're and his, his name is Ur- urbanius 
Like you've got a guy battle rapping with, uh, and he's the urban one. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional, but I don't uh, know. that cracked me up. I did not notice that. So until you said something, so yeah, so I, maybe who knows? <laughs> but um, I think one thing to um, this so this time period, I'm gonna try to keep this short. I can't guarantee I will. So I am a huge history fan. Um, I think we all know that. Um, one of my degrees is in history. And this also covers basically my favorite time period in Roman history, right, about a generation or two before Julius Caesar, when we still have the Republic. But basically the things that get set into motion are what ends the Republic and brings about the possibility of having Julius Caesar. And so the two factions represent historical factions, the Optimates, or optiates, and then, or the, no, optimates. I don't know why I'm having trouble with this. And then, um, who are the other ones again now? I'm just drawing a blank. Oh, geez, I don't know. Basically, the progressives. So basically, yeah. you have the conservatives and the progressives. And the conservatives want to keep Rome, basically, for the old guard in charge. Mm-hmm. And the progressives realize that to really grow Rome and make it powerful, they're going to have to change things and, 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 you know, bring in new people. And... And also change some of the rules yeah. that are uh, that are hindering classes of people. Yes, and one thing that I think that we uh, that you know the average like Rome, um, or the average person when dealing with Rome doesn't realize either is that for you know the first several hundred years after even after Rome had conquered like the rest of Italy, let's remember that for the first two or three hundred years of Rome being a, a city. They, they weren't the power even on the Italian peninsula. The Etruscans were. They were a far older civilization, and but they never worked together. They were basically like Greek city-states. And so even after Rome started taking those cities over and eventually conquered the Etruscans, those guys weren't considered Roman for a long time, and they didn't have the same rights that like if someone actually born in the city of Rome had. And so they were like confederates. And during this time period is where we really like historically get to where Rome, you get Roman citizenship just, you know, once you're conquered after, you know, like sometimes even the soldiers who fought on their, the tribes who fought on their side started getting citizenship. But that was a big deal where, you know, before this, that actually starts to happen, the politics of Rome and the big factions fighting one side fought to keep the old guard in charge and the other side fought to uh, allow, you know, for a more inclusive Rome that we think of today, I think, more, you know? Mm -hmm. And so this is actually, like, even though this is, you know, an alternative history and that we're not using real people's names, that's the time period. The the General Sulla and Marius, who was Julius Caesar's uncle, that kind of fought it it out. Historically, um, Marius and Julius Caesar obviously ended up winning, and Mm -hmm. that's where you get, like, the the poor being able to serve in the army and then the generals being the... uh, the head, you know, the most important ones, because if you're if you won your war that the gen- your general got sent to, then you got to have land in the conquered territories, and so this is basically the time period we're dealing with in you know in this, and so even though you know we're not dealing with real people, we're dealing with like that on a, uh, um, that's the storyline behind this, like a, you know a fictionalized version of yeah. what really did happen in history, and it's funny I, I actually have in my notes that uh, if you are the kind of person that thinks you're going to really like this uh, 
this book, I would recommend ahead of time listening to <laughs> Mike Duncan's History of Rome and this mm-hmm. time period. There are also super cool episodes to listen to on that podcast. But I really feel like it would uh, that it that it was helpful to me, you know, being the history guy I am. That like that uh, one thing I didn't have to deal with was was kind of figuring out like the politics of what was going on. But I think if you're not a big history fan, like maybe I don't know, was yeah, it, it I, seems like a lot of intrigue. Yeah, it was a lot of uh, a lot of complex uh, political intrigue that I uh, wasn't all that familiar with. But as I was reading, I actually was kind of thinking like, this is going to be awesome to get basically a history lesson from Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to keep it like as, you know, as a non-history lesson as possible. But like this time period, though, is my one of my favorite periods in, you know, in history. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so it's cool, like, to, to, you know, to kind of see like if you took the magic out of it and changed the names, you could almost even have like a historical fiction novel. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I think Morris would be would would definitely with the way she's written this be uh, um, capable of like just putting like a fictional historical narrative into the history. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so like in some ways, that's, you know, what this kind of read like. But then you added in magic and some yeah. romance and, and things like that, you know. Mm hmm. So what? Let's talk about the magic system, Chris. Will you uh, describe it a little bit and kind of like what the uh, what it was possible, what the limitations were? Um, well, uh, it was so there. It, I, did they call it the nine? Or I don't remember. I don't, that might have just been I put they, the notes down. So it's a uh, yeah. so it's sort of an elemental magic, but uh, but it expands a little bit beyond that. So it was uh, earth, air, water, fire, spirit, light time shadow and fracture mm-hmm. and uh I think of fracture is chaos basically yeah, yeah yeah um and so you have uh it was not everybody has it uh it's a society where it has kind of gone underground although not that much because it kind of seemed like there were there were like houses of yeah you know holy houses that maintained uh, each one corresponded to a god yeah. Well, and I think and, that specifically the reason it was suppressed at this time period was because of the previous dictator, Osella, in this yes. one, where we only get to see him really in the first chapter. Yep. He basically used the mages to do exactly what he wanted. And if you didn't want to do that, then he killed you. Yeah. So a lot of people either just took off that could use magic or suppressed right, or what hid. They, yeah, hid it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, so the people that do have it uh, generally uh, have it kind of access to uh, one or two uh, yeah. of them and uh, not, you know, it's not like I have it so I can do all of these things. Um, let's see, I guess as far as kind of the capabilities of it is it's not as uh, far reaching as say like the magic system in Plague of Giants no. or uh, so it, it kind of had a, uh, a more minor role, although it, they do, uh, it, it does end up playing, uh, not end up, but it does play uh, kind of a, a large role in the capabilities of a handful of the people. Yeah. And that's one thing. So, you know, like talking about like the percentage of people, I think that maybe like one to 2% seems like maybe more, I don't know, it could have been a yeah. higher percentage, but it was, it seemed to run in families. It looks like there's a definite genetic component. Mm-hmm. A lot of the old family seem to have yeah. some people who can use it. But 
I mean, you know, it's not completely rare. And it also kind of seemed like it was the aristocracy that had it. Yeah. yeah. Kind of that old family, but also the the wealth. Uh, yeah. They were the ones that, that yeah. had it. Or maybe we just didn't get yeah, exposed. I, you to... know, I think that was more what it was because I really got the feel that like that maybe the plebes who had the magic mm-hmm. used it like more in like business type of aspects, mm-hmm. whereas it was uncouth to do that kind of thing. Just like a Roman <laughs> senator wasn't supposed to actually engage in trade, you know, they were supposed to make their money off their land and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got the feeling that maybe some of the lower classes, but there was only like one or two like real like mentions of it, but and it's later on in the book, mm-hmm. but I got the feeling that maybe they did more. And I also, yeah. that's where I kind of got the feeling that maybe more people than I thought, um, there's a, an incident that she specifically said we shouldn't talk about that, uh, mm-hmm. um, where it seemed like there were more mages than I was, than I realized there were. Yeah. And, uh, one thing that is really cool about it though, is then like, so the Iberians, they use a different kind of magic. Their tribal yeah. magic is like a blood based magic. Yeah. And, uh, and so I thought that was super cool and I really liked that. Uh, well, and one thing. I guess we should, we talked about that there's like the nine different uh, uh, disciplines, but the Roman, the Avon, I guess, magic <laughs> is really defensive in nature. Right. That you, the reason it's not used much in their armies because it tends to react poorly if you try to use it as an offensive capability. Right. So like a lot of Roman soldiers will have like pieces of items of clothing and that were blessed that like may will stop them from getting, they'll turn a blade or, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. Or, eternally or shoes that don't wear out and things like that yeah but they're but they're not out there you know like nobody's wielding fire and you know setting opponents on fire or anything yeah they specifically mentioned that like that once if you try to do that then it'll be mistakes happen yeah yeah almost like a random uh random thing of chance will make it yeah uh, and and they believe that, yeah they believe that the gods you know gave them the power and that if they try to use it you know for offensively the gods um are uh are punishing them and and dealing with gods kind of the way that like the romans i guess dealt with gods just in general that you know you don't see the gods yeah i always felt like that was the big difference between like the greek pantheon and the roman pantheon is is the greeks really had their 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 uh, traditions of like gods actually walking among them Mm -hmm. whereas the romans were you know you don't hear that as much with their story and i kind of feel like i feel like you know she did a great job with the history of this yeah and um I mean, this is such a stellarly written novel. Um, as far as the writing, there is no question that she can write and yeah. that she can weave a story. And but it, the problem is, is you know, it is really just I felt like the the design of the novel that such a there's so much world building yeah. and intrigue and you know, like I said, I didn't have the problem with the intrigue part. I did with the cast characters, obviously, but the intrigue, because I knew the general history of this. And, you know, like I said, I've spent, I mean, you know, a lot of time studying this time period. (laughs) I've listened to podcasts just about this and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I really love this time period. This kind of surprises me that this is a, that this is a, a novel that's, you know, published by a major publishing company in some ways. Hmm. I I say that because it's more of a niche audience to start off with. Yeah, I the I I would question the broad appeal. Yeah, of it, uh, which is I mean, which isn't a, a criticism of no. it. I I really enjoy a lot of the uh, a lot of the independent stuff that we've, yeah. we've read. But yeah, as far as uh, you know, this as a, as a major release, 
Uh, is its audience going to be big enough? Yeah. And what I'm really hoping is, and I, I didn't look at the, um, you know, the details, I feel like this is a book that I'm waiting for book two, and I am yeah. 100% going to read book two. If book two is like the last 35% of book one, then I really feel like this could be the kind of series right. that I will absolutely love and put up there, you know, with like, like way up there. But I'm not sure that book one is that, you know, is that. Yeah, it's kind me. of a, it's kind of a, we don't know yet if book one will be, uh, you know, a true representation of the work on its, on the whole. Yeah. And, and yeah, if it is, it, it may not be something that would interest me, but as a, you know, as a world building to what could potentially be, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the whole story, I, I would definitely be interested in that. Um, yeah. Well, and I, this is one where I'm going to draw a connection here to Tad Williams. Uh, Tad Williams is, even if he's not maybe like the average Game of Thrones fan doesn't know who he is, mm-hmm. he is a giant of fa- the fantasy world. His um, novels, the uh, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn series, you know, people like Patrick Rothfuss and George R. R. Martin consider Tad Williams to be inspirations to them. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you know, like the, the, he reading his novel is what got them to start writing. And, but when Katie and I early on did the, the dragon bone chair on this podcast. So his first novel comes in at like almost 700 pages long. And that's the mm. shortest novel by a long shot. <laughs> and the first 300 pages were nothing but world building and literally no action happens. I mean, not even a jousting tournament or anything like that. It's basically just <laughs> world building. And I might not have kept reading it if I had just been reading that on my own, but I would consider the series as a whole to be among the best fantasy series I've ever read. Mm-hmm. But there was such a long period of world building that I, you know, and there's action happening during this, during her yeah. initial yeah, part there is and it's not and it's the, i think that part of it is is the structure she took there's not it's not an, there's no info dumps this all happens with interpersonal relationship that's how she's right. doing the world right. building that's how she's doing world building. and so it's there's the just a, yeah so we talk about the aaron sorkin thing there's just a ton of talking and yep. intriguing and you know people going to dinners and talking about these things and that's how she gets that information and that world building out mm-hmm. and that's something that it, I had a hard, I, I kind of, the way I read this for those first two weeks, you know, with that first 65% is I would read one of those dinner scenes mm-hmm. and I would be, you know, fairly entertained, but, it, it, but if something else came up, well, then I just went yeah. and did something else, you know, or like if I was yeah. watching a TV show or something, it could get me out of, it could draw me away from the novel. Right. It didn't have that, you know, it didn't have that, ooh, the end of the chapter, I have to know what happens next. Yeah. And, but you know, that last, like that last 35%, I, that's how I was. Absolutely. But like I said, that first, it takes so long to get to that point. I really wonder if a lot of people aren't going to stop reading, not get to that, not get to that point. And and like I said, and that would be a shame because it really does. Uh, it really does pick up. There's, uh, there's a chapter fairly early on. Uh, it's not a, it's not a long uh, piece of action, but there's there's action going on, and that I like. I flew through that and thought, "Oh man, this is 
I, yeah. I hope that a lot more of the book is like this. And then it did just kind of, it kind of dipped and, and became a lot more of that world building. Yeah. And, but then uh, back to when, when she's writing action, it is, uh, it, it's, it is that hard to put down, have to read what goes on next yeah. uh, type of writing. Yeah, I just I just think that it took an awful long time to get to that. It did. Yeah. And like I said, like this is one that in my, especially since this is the kind of thing that really draws me as far as like, you know, subject matter basically, yeah. that I can see myself, you know, 10 years from now saying like, man, I loved this series. Yeah but I don't necessarily love this book. Sure. And so it's kind of, it's a weird thing. I look at, you know, like Mark Lawrence, you know, he, every book he's written except for Prince of Thorns, I thought mm. was just amazing. <laughs> and, but Prince of Thorns, you know, like same way, like it wasn't, it certainly wasn't uh, his strongest book. And you can yeah. tell that he grows, you know, every time he writes. I don't know. I just have such weird conflicting feelings about this <laughs> book because I feel like as a storyteller, she's great. Yeah. I, you would never have said this is a first novel from someone in terms of the way they put together the prose, the way yeah. the writing looks, and the way when she finally gets to store the the real meat of the like the mm-hmm. action. And yep. I'll admit, like you know, I like my action. I'm yeah. That's that, I mean, if you go back and you look at what we have reviewed, what you rate high, yeah, and we reviewed. I mean, is, I'll yeah, I'll admit that's uh that's a fly I have. <laughs> so. Well, I feel like she's written, a, you know, technical all the technical aspects. She really ticks them off. I just, that, you know, I mean, it's sixty five percent world building. Yeah, and then it gets into like being really cool. I don't know. What do you think? What was no? Your... I'm I'm kind of on the same page with you. Uh, uh, the one thing that did kind of slow me down was, uh, like I said, I think toward the beginning, there are a lot of five dollar words. Uh, I mean, if I'm if I'm stopping once a page to look a word up or yeah. just not, uh, I mean, ultimately if I get to a point where I'm just, okay, I don't know that word. I'll hope I'll get it in context. That slows me down a lot. And yeah, well, I mean, just, maybe that's just me being a dumo, but well, no, I, the, she really, she, she used the like old Latin, like political terminology yeah. that is, you know, doesn't have a good, uh, yeah. Uh, example for today or like you know the way they put it in there yeah, I, yeah. Under, I totally know what you're saying yeah and that slowed me down and that uh you know so that's for me a knock on it but i mean man if you have a if you have a vocabulary that's gonna cruise through this i you would love this yeah and like that's what i it's so funny because i really do think that there's gonna be people who are gonna on one hand are gonna stop reading this book uh 50 pages in yeah. And there's going to be people who are going to be like, this book is so amazing. Yeah. And then there's going to be like me who thinks this book is good, but not great. Right. But the potential for the series, like I, I might, you know, like I said, I really honestly think if book two is like the end of book one, or at least it doesn't have to be all action packed, just that if more action is interspersed throughout it, yeah, then I'm going to, yeah. you know, like the political intriguing that goes on, I think I, I really think that the structure is going to be harder. Like once, uh, especially like once Sempronius leaves, mm-hmm. and you know I don't want to give any more details than that. But but once some, there's going to be fewer people out of the inside the city anymore, so they're gonna there's going to have to be less political intrigue and things like that. Right. And one thing talking about so, um, what happens early? The first chapter is is that the dictator dies, mm-hmm. and now everyone's coming back to Rome and trying to figure out who's going to be 
um, in the positions of power. Yeah, there's a power a vacuum. A huge power vacuum because anyone that didn't flee got murdered, basically, if you were a, a, a threat to um, Osella is the guy's name in this, and Sola was the one in the... Uh, yeah, historically. So yeah, so that's kind of what the whole you know purpose of the book is is to set things up to figure out what what uh, um, road Rome's going or I keep saying Rome, Avon <laughs> is or Avon is going to go. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the way the story set up it, it was set, it was meant to be that way. Like I really do. It feels like a setup book to me. You know. Yeah. And so, and that, you know, like I said, that's, uh, I think that's what she did. I think she, I, I, I mean, I personally think she did it on purpose just yeah. from what I can, like the way the structure is. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. <laughs> uh, and as far as a lot of the language and, and that sort of thing, I, I wondered while I was reading it, if that was intentional, kind of in the same way that, um, oh, who was it that wrote American Psycho? Was that Brett Easton Ellis? don't remember okay uh but so uh, american psycho is written very lengthy descriptions of clothing and it's it's intentionally vapid and Mm -hmm. uh and kind of long-winded on things that you know aren't really important to you as the reader but maybe are important to the characters uh and because it's important to the characters it's sort of the uh the indicating what that character is like Oh yeah, no. There's there's no question that once you when when you say that, I don't necessarily know that I was thinking about that while I was reading, mm-hmm. but like just thinking right now, like you know, like they go into description of like the senatorial toga and things like that, you know, yeah. and and yeah, and those are things that only certain classes of people were able to wear, and the things that they did, like the you know the the etiquette of parties and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that. Uh, in a real hierarchical, rigid class structure are yeah. important and would have been really important, um, especially like to the traditionalists. Right. You know, like following those things would have been important. And mm-hmm. maybe if I would have been thinking more about that, you know, that while I was reading it. But yeah. I, like I said, I had a really hard time early on, like keeping um, like super focused while yeah. I was reading it. Yep. And uh, as you know, as like I said, as the 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 Roman history fan that I am, you know, a lot of those terms, I knew what they were because of that. But otherwise, there's not, they're not, you know, like you said, they're not anywhere else in our language or, you know, they're, they're not in the right. modern political system. So, um, honestly, I think if, if you're the kind of person that likes a history novel, like, or not a novel, but a history book, mm-hmm. then this would be a, like, if you like Mike Duncan's History of Rome, I think that this is a great fantasy book for you. One thing I want to say to me didn't bother me, but I read a review that made me think is with the magic system. I I think the magic system's done amazingly in terms of not being too powerful. Yeah. But I would have liked it to have been played a bigger role though. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think that and someone I read once with a, a review of someone that said it was like the um, magic wasn't involved in the founding or any of that kind of stuff, you know, like really like Mm-hmm. Um, I feel uh, maybe Rome could have been more changed because of the, you know, the use of magic. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I really liked the way, like the limitate, both the limitations and the, uh, the scope of magic that I like having a magic system like this one where you can't overpower everything with mages. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, I think, like I said, and it really... I've said it multiple times now, and I don't really need to keep saying it, but I'm going to. <laughs> it's just that I really feel like this was a 
a good, not great novel. Yep. That has the chance to be a great series. Yeah. And so I don't know, I guess what else I really can say about <laughs> that, you know, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts like that? No, I, I'm, I'm right in that same area. It was, uh, it was good and I'll, I'll be interested in seeing how, uh, how the series plays out. Mm-hmm. The writing is fantastic. Uh, and, and I would like to see, uh, I would like to see more of, uh, her writing. Yeah. The interplay between characters is, is really good. Uh, I, I do like the character relationships. The, uh, the three sisters, uh, they get a lot of page time. Yep. And, and I really liked, uh, their interactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to me, the, the story was kind of, uh, just lagged a, yeah. a little bit too much for, for my taste. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, then let's go ahead and uh, I guess real quick, I just want to say audience wise, there's nothing in this novel that would stop like age restriction wise, I think, aside from maybe. Yeah, I don't. What do you think? I mean, I don't know that I'd go too young. Uh, I mean, chances are uh, uh, the vocabulary alone is going to restrict this to like, you know, mid teens. If uh-huh. your mid teen is, uh, you know, a. a what loquacious <laughs> yeah or if you were me you know reading like 1066 a norman history you yeah. know when you were a 12 year old yeah like maybe then but i'm but i meant more like along the lines of appropriateness there's not like a ton of i mean there's you know your usual violence uh, yeah there, some there's, sexual there's scenes. Some violence sexuality uh, i'd say that you know Teens maybe pg-13 yeah yeah, that's a good. We should start using like a rating, like more like that, because sometimes I feel like we lose the meaning of it. Like, yeah, I've had a couple times where I've listened to it after we've gotten into it, and I've been like, "Was I saying this is a young adult novel? This isn't a young <laughs> no. adult novel." No, no, but just the. I mean, this more along the lines of when Katie and I started this, we were thinking about as our son grows up of like when we you would be able to introduce a novel to him as far as like yeah. appropriateness. So yeah, so teens on appropriate level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is probably more of like an adult novel in terms of yeah, con like just subject matter, subject is, matter, is uh, heavy and compl- complex. Yes, there we are. In terms of uh, thought pro, it's definitely a higher order thought process type book, not yeah. just your uh, hack and slash novel. Um, Chris, what would you rate it? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I liked it. I I didn't love it. Um, this isn't. This isn't one that I, I think that I probably will read uh, uh, the next book mm-hmm. when it becomes available, uh, but I'm not going to reread this one yeah. to then lead into that like I would with uh, with others that I really enjoyed. Yeah, and I'm going to give it a three and a half. Uh, to me, I really think that this could become a five-star series, but I'm going to be just like with uh, the Dragonbone Chair or... Or uh, Prince of Thorns. Prince of Thorns. Yeah. That, yeah, that uh, I, I see the promise and potential, but for me, three and a half is what I think this one is. That's an average rating, you know? I mean, it might be low for me sometimes, <laughs> but uh, three and a half is still like a seven out of ten if you're, you're going yeah. that route, and I think that's a pretty good rating for this novel. I think that the last 35% was five-star for me, but the yeah. first 65% was like two-star where I didn't have a positive or negative opinion of the novel for you know that whole um, world-building part. So um, do we have anything else? Any last uh, thoughts on the 
the series or the book, I mean? No, probably not. I think we uh I think we covered quite a bit there. So, all right, well, um thank you everybody and I hope you all have a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>